0: What a joy it is to be together again on this Lord's Day, isn't it? And to gather around his word. Uh, if we haven't met before, my name is Justin and I'm part of the team here at GBC. And If you're new or you're visiting, I want to extend my welcome to you as well. We're so glad to have you here. Uh, this morning, as Tony has already said, we are bringing our seven-part series in Ecclesiastes uh, to an end. And I don't know about you, but I've so enjoyed this series. Um, I've enjoyed our time together wrestling Uh, Through this book, it's been a really difficult endeavour, hasn't it? And I think we've considered some really challenging concepts um, just around the nitty-gritty details of life. We've seen how Havel has touched everything, all aspects of life. It's fleeting, it's futile, it's frustrating. And yet there's also so much beauty and value and worth in life. We're going to dive into these aspects uh, a little bit deeper this morning again as we consider this final section of the book. So please turn with me in your Bibles, if you have them, to Ecclesiastes chapter 11, and we're going to read from verse 7 through to the end of chapter 12. Ecclesiastes chapter 11 and verse 7. Light is sweet, and it is pleasant for the eyes to see the sun. at the sound of a bird, and all the daughters of song are brought low. They are afraid also of what is high and terrors in the way, the almond tree blossoms, the grasshopper drags itself along, and desire fails, because man is going to his eternal home and the mourners go about the streets. Before the silver cord is snapped or the golden bowl is broken or the pitcher is shattered at the fountain or the wheel broken at the cistern and the dust returns to the earth as it was and the spirit returns to God who gave it. Vanity of vanities, says the preacher, all is vanity. Besides being wise, the preacher also taught the people knowledge, weighing and studying and arranging many proverbs with great care. The preacher sought to find words of delight, and uprightly he wrote words of truth. The words of the wise are like goads, and like nails firmly are the collected sayings, They are given by one shepherd. My son, beware of anything beyond these. Of making many books, there is no end, and much study is a weariness of the flesh. The end of the matter, all has been heard. Fear God and keep his commandments, for this is the whole duty of man. For God will bring every deed into judgment with every secret thing, whether good or evil. Let's pray. Gracious Father, we thank you that every good and perfect gift comes down from you. Apart from you, Father, we would have nothing and can do nothing. In you, we live and move and have our being. So this morning, would you please help our hearts and minds to be engaged with your living and abiding word? Please show us its meaning that we might apply it to our lives in light of the cross We thank you for your spirit who reveals your son, Jesus, to us. May we see him more clearly this morning, and may we be shaped more into his image. For our good and for your glory do we ask these things, Lord. Amen. I want to begin this morning by telling you the story of a couple named Horatio and Anna Spafford. You may know this story already. Uh, Horatio Gates Spafford was born in New York, on the 20th of October, 1828. And he and his wife, Anna, they were active in their local church and their home was always open to visitors. They counted the world-famous evangelist, D.L. Moody, among their friends, and they were blessed with these five children and considerable wealth. Horatio was a lawyer and owned a great deal of property in his home city. But not unlike Job in the Old Testament, in the Bible, tragedy came in great measure to this happy home. When just four years old, their son, Horatio Junior, he died suddenly of scarlet fever. Then only a year later, in October 1871, a massive fire swept through downtown Chicago, devastating the city, including many properties owned by Horatio. That day, almost 300 people lost their lives and around 100,000 people were made homeless. Despite their own substantial financial loss, the Spaffords sought to demonstrate the love of Christ by assisting those who were grief-stricken and in great need. Two years later, in 1873, Spafford decided his family should take a holiday in England, knowing that his friend, the evangelist, Deal Moody, would be preaching there in the autumn. Horatio was delayed because of business, so he sent his family ahead, his wife and their four remaining children. All daughters, 11-year-old Anna 9-year-old Margaret Lee, 5-year-old Elizabeth, and 2-year-old Tanetta. On 22nd of November 1873, while crossing the Atlantic on the steamship Ville de Havre, the vessel was struck by an iron sailing ship. 226 people lost their lives as the Ville de Havre sank with only, within only 12 minutes. All four of Horatio Spafford's daughters died but remarkably, Anna Spafford survived the tragedy. Those rescued, including Anna, who was found unconscious, floating on a plank of wood, subsequently arrived in Cardiff, South Wales. Upon arrival there, Anna immediately sent a telegram to her husband, which included the words, saved alone. Receiving Anna's message, he set off at once to be reunited with his wife. And one particular day during the voyage, the captain summoned him to the bridge of the vessel and pointing to the charts, he explained that the place that they were passing over at that very moment is where that ship had sunk and where his daughters had died. It is said there that uh, Spafford returned to his cabin and he wrote the hymn, It is well with my soul. And the first sign of which is when peace like a river attended away. After Anna was rescued, Pastor Nathaniel Weiss, one of the ministers travelling with their surviving group, remembered hearing Anna say, God gave me four daughters. Now they have been taken from me. Someday I will understand why. Following this deep tragedy, Anna gave birth to three more children, but she and Horatio were not spared even more sadness, as on the February 11th, 1880, their only son, Horatio, named after the brother who had died and also after his father, also died at the age of four. Horatio and Anna Spafford had lost six children in just nine years. Now, there are a great many things that we could learn from the lives of Anna and Horatio, but I tell you this, their story this morning just to make this simple point for us. How radically different is our experience today? While the average global infant mortality rate in the 1800s was 43%, which is nearly one in every two children, would die in infancy, now the common phrase amongst us is, no parent should ever outlive their child. While encountering death was unavoidable in years gone by, I think the vast majority of those living in Perth, Western Australia today, would not have seen a human being breathe their final breath. Now, forgive me for beginning with such a weighty subject this morning, but I think that this passage ought to make us feel deeply how precious and yet how fragile life is. The problem, as I see it, presented to us in this passage, is that for us living in the 21st century, Western world, because death is such an uncommon reality for us, we don't live like we're going to die. Now, please do not hear me downplaying your experience of loss and of grief. I know that there's a great many of you in this room that could share terrible stories of losing loved ones, and I am among you. But this passage is still for us. There may also be some of you in this room who would not call themselves young, and I wouldn't argue with you on that, but this passage and this sermon is still for you too as well, because while you may be starting to feel the effects of old age and can resonate with the preacher's description in chapter 12, there's still enough life in your body to be here this morning, and therefore enough life in your body to hear these words from God's word. But there is no doubt that our passage this morning ought to speak most clearly and most deeply to those who consider themselves to be young, who are healthy and who work, who parent and who have every opportunity to enjoy life. Really though, I think that the days of our youth can be a totally subjective phrase, can't it? And I think that's exactly how the preacher intends for for it to be for us. All of us can still be in the days of our youth, in our outlook on life. While some certainly feel the effects of the body's decay more than others, there are a great many parts of God's good creation that we can and do still enjoy. And so the preacher in Ecclesiastes, he brings us these words of wisdom to an end by considering that because life will come to an end, we ought to enjoy our lives and live them, in the enjoyment of God and his good creation. In this life we can and we must enjoy God and his good creation as long as we are able to. That's what we're going to see this morning. And the reality that one day that we aren't going to be able to, that one day our bodies will decline and decay and that there are going to be more and more things that we aren't going to be able to enjoy, that we must make The most of life now? For how many of us live life in light of the end? How many of us live in the reality that one day our bodies aren't going to be able to do what we want them to do or even need them to do? The preacher, he deemed this wisdom necessary 3,000 years ago. How much more do we need this wisdom in the age of medicine and hip replacements? and heart transplants. So we're going to see the preacher apply this wisdom in two ways this morning. First, that we must rejoice. And second, what we must remember. Rejoice and remember. First, look at, let's look at how we must rejoice. Look with me in your Bibles to verse 7, and the preacher begins this section by saying, "'Light is sweet.'" And it is pleasant for the eyes to see the sun. And continuing into verse 8, So if a person lives many years, let him rejoice in them all. So what's going on here in verse 7? How is this seemingly random statement in the middle of things about light and sun connected to the way that we ought to live our lives? That little connecting word at the beginning of verse 8, the so, is very important for us to take note of. It gives us reason for why one who lives many years must rejoice in them all. Because light is sweet, because it is pleasant for the eyes to see the sun, the one who lives many years should rejoice. You know that feeling of walking into the sunlight after being in a cold house? I actually feel like I'd like to do that right now, feeling a little bit cold. I'd love to go out there and walk in the sun. And laying on the grass, In the beautiful sun in the middle of spring is one of my favorite things to do. Or seeing the sun break over the horizon with the light streaming through the trees. It's beautiful, isn't it? The sun, it gives life and it gives warmth to everything that it touches. And I'm sure you've seen those images of what happens to those parts of the world that live in darkness for the vast majority of winter. It's barren and it's cold and it's brutal And those who live there, they're so dependent on the warmth and light of the fire, aren't they? You see, the preacher says that light is sweet, and it's pleasant for the eyes to see the sun. There is such beauty and enjoyment in them. And the preacher says that is what life is like. Just as light is sweet, so is life. Just as it is pleasant for the eyes to see the sun, so is life. So, one who lives life for many years ought to rejoice in them all. It's actually an imperative, a command that He's given us. We are commanded to rejoice in all the years of our life because they are sweet, because they are pleasant. And we're going to see the second half of. Uh, verse 8 in just a moment. I know you're all looking there. So we'll, we will let the preacher nuance his words a little bit later on, but nonetheless, his point is made clear for us, that life and youth, they are gifts from God. Strength and vitality, food and sex, exercise and work, climbing trees, swimming in pools, going for walks along, whether it's in the beach or in the bush. All of these things are incredible gifts from God that can and should be enjoyed while we're young. Something that Stacy and I, we love to do uh, with the kids every few months uh, is to go around to different kinds of orchards when their fruits are in season and you pay X amount of dollars and you get a couple of bags and you can just roam around and pick your, your fill of fruit and you can eat your fill while you're there as well. The kids just love it. Next weekend, actually, we're going to go nectarine picking And being in the goodness of God's creation, enjoying the fruit of the trees, walking with family, I mean, depending on what mood the the children are in, it can actually be quite a spiritual experience for me. It causes uh, me to be deeply thankful to God and it draws my spirit nearer to him. And so the preacher says, let your heart cheer you. Essentially, he is saying, What do you love to do? Do you love going nectarine picking? Do it. What brings you joy? What cheers your heart? Go and do it. Rejoice, O young man, in your youth, and let your heart cheer you in the days of your youth. Walk in the ways of your heart and the sight of your eyes. And he says in verse 10, remove vexation from your heart. And put away pain from your body, for youth and dawn and the dawn of life are vanity. The preacher says, Are you annoyed? Are you frustrated? Are you worried? Remove it. Put it away. Don't let it weigh on you. Don't let it rob your joy in life. Why? Because youth and the dawn of life. It's vanity. They're fleeting. They're havel. Life is short enough as it is, right? But the years that we have while we're young are even shorter. And this, I think, is the essence of the next part of our passage, where we read this poem describing what it is to grow old. Let's let's read through it again in chapter 12 and from verse 1. And one rises up at the sound of the bird, and all the daughters of song are brought low. They are also afraid of what is high, and terrors are in the way, the almond tree blossoms, the grasshopper drags itself along, and desire fails, because man is going to his eternal home, and the mourners go about the streets. Before the silver cord is snapped, or the golden bowl is broken, or the pitcher is shattered at the fountain, or the the wheel broken at the cistern. And the dust returns to the earth as it was, and the spirit returns to God who gave it. This imagery, it's inescapable, isn't it? Our bodies will decline and decay. Death is inevitable. There comes this huge toll upon us as we grow old. And a day is coming, the preacher says, where we will not be able to enjoy the good things that God has given to us. These evil days that come in old age, they're not morally evil days, but they're distressing and calamitous days. Just as the preacher says, these days they come when the sun and the light and the moon and the stars are darkened and the clouds return after the rain. You see, in stark contrast to light being sweet and the sun being pleasant to look at, our final days of life can be dark and miserable. In the day when the keepers of the house tremble and the strong men are bent and the grinders cease because they are few, describes how the body fails, the keepers of the house being the arms which grow weak and they tremble and the back arches over, and the manual labor gets less and less. And one rises up at the sound of the bird, and all the daughters of song are brought low. Sleep is elusive, and song sung from joy is no longer. Where the almond tree blossoms, probably referring to the white hairs that sprout all over, and the grasshopper drags itself along, no longer with a spring in their step and vibrancy, the legs, they don't work like they used to. Desire fails. It becomes more difficult each and every day, even just to get out of bed, because man is going to his eternal home. This final part of the poem, where it speaks of the silver cord being snapped, the golden bowl broken, the pitcher shattered at the fountain, the wheel broken at the cistern, and the dust returns to the earth as it was, and the spirit returns to God who gave it, it surely speaks of that final moment of death. Vanity of vanities, says the preacher. All is vanity. Now, I reckon this could be one of the most depressing parts of the Bible. But it's also the most real, isn't it? I found this so jarring to prepare on because I don't deal with the reality of life and old age as I ought to. And to be honest, I was nervous to preach this one to you who are elderly in our church because I feel horrible to be the one to present you with this striking image of what is to come. But all of us, young and old, cannot and must not avoid the harsh but poignant wisdom of the preacher. He says, life is brief and we must learn to live by preparing to die. We prepare to die first by being realistic and aware of what is to come, whether we live many years or only a few. Which really, I think this is the grounding of his reason as to why we ought to rejoice in the days that we have now. Because life is a good gift from God. And creation is good and given given to us by God to enjoy. Knowing what is coming... Rejoice in your youth, says the preacher. Let your heart cheer you in the days of your youth. Walk in the ways of your heart and in the sight of your eyes. Do what you love. Enjoy all the good things in life. But, but, says the preacher, we must remember two crucial things as we live this life. This is where we need to now start to nuance what is probably making some of us feel a little bit uncomfortable about this hedonistic, you know, moving towards a kind of prosperity gospel teaching of the preacher. So there's two things that we must remember. First, that the days of darkness will be many. Uh, And then second, we must remember our Creator, for He will bring us into judgment for the way that we live our lives so the days of darkness will be many. We see this in chapter 11 and verse 8. We skipped over it before. So if a person lives many years, let him rejoice in them all, but let him remember that the days of darkness will be many. All that comes is vanity. So when the preacher, when he tells us to rejoice in all our years and to rejoice in our youth and to do that all that we love and to Remove our sadness or anguish or our vexation, he also warns us that the days of darkness will be many. And we must remember this. This means that our, it's not a naive optimism, it's not a fake smile, it's not pretending that everything is okay. I mean, maybe some of us, we do that as we come to church. You know, we put our church clothes on and our church face and our church smile, you know, covering up all that is really going on. No, our rejoicing is not to be like this. But rejoice in all the good things that God has given to you. Yes, though don't pretend that hard things don't happen. Grieve when you need to. Be angry about injustices and take your anguishes to God. For our Psalms, they're filled with songs of lament, aren't they? crying out to God about the hardships of life. We remember that the days of darkness, they will be many. And so this remembering, it makes our rejoicing realistic. And it makes it a deep-rooted joy in our Creator for His goodness towards us, even in the midst of hardships. I think some of us this morning will need to hear that we must rejoice more, to be more thankful for all that God has given to us and to enjoy the good gifts of His creation while we're still in our youth. But other, others of us, we need to remember that the days of darkness will be many. Things might be great now. You have the house and the spouse and the kids and the job and the holidays and the cars and the pool and the stuff. But when the days of darkness come, and they will, where does your hope lie? If everything was to be taken from you, like Job or like Horatio and Anna, will there be a peace that attendeth your way? Because your hope is in the Lord. This wisdom from the preacher, it really is like an arrow to our soul, isn't it? The vanity of the word, of the world, easily induces in us our vexation. And the telling question is, will it hinder our joyful life of faith? Or will it cause us to press all the more closely to God and to trust him more deeply? So too is the preacher's wisdom in commanding us to remember our creator. This is the second thing that we must remember. In chapter 12, verse 1, he says, Remember your creator in the days of your youth, before the days of evil come and the years draw near, of which you will say, I have no pleasure in them. The Lord gives and the Lord takes, doesn't he? And he is good and he is right in doing both. But the posture of our hands will be telling in these moments. Will we hold it tightly, hurting all the more as it's prized from our hands? Or can we hold the good things in life with open hands, trusting the one who gave them to us? We must remember our creator, the sovereign Lord who rules and reigns over all things, whose acts of providence have no boundaries or limits. It is wise, says the preacher, to remember that God is in control over your life. Not only did he create you, but he sees over, he provides for every little detail in your life. Every molecule in your body, every seemingly random moment in your life, every job promotion, every loss of life, every sparrow that falls to the ground, nothing happens apart from the will of our Father. But it's not all that we're to remember about God. In chapter 11, verse 9, we are commanded to walk in the ways of our hearts and the sight of our eyes, but we must also know that for all these things, for all the ways that we live, God will bring us into judgment. See, God, he is sovereign, but that is no denial of human responsibility. And I think this is something that many Bible-believing churches and, and individuals, we really do wrestle with, that we want to so emphasize that God is sovereign and in control over all things that we forget to take any responsibility for our own actions. But God, he will bring us into judgment. So don't take the preacher's command to walk in the ways of your heart and in the sight of your eyes as licensed to live with total disregard for God and his word. Because those who insist in living in their own sinful ways, for their own pleasure and for their own gain, will come under the judgment of God. God is a righteous judge and he will leave No sinful deed unpunished. Which is a really horrible thing for those of us who think that we are the final authority over our lives and that we can do whatever we please with no consequences. Except that God is also so, so good. Not only is he almighty and all powerful and a sovereign and just judge over all things, he is good. And he is kind and he is loving and he is merciful and gracious. And we know that he is because of what we've been seeing this morning, that he sent his one and only son into the world to save us. To save us from our sin and our rebellion and our rejection of his goodness and his sovereign rule. He came to save us. Friends, how can we have all the more reason? We can have all the more reason to remember our Creator more than what the preacher did because the fullness of our Creator's goodness has been revealed to us through Jesus. And this is the good news of the Gospel. Our Creator, His goodness is so far-reaching that He actually came to win for us new hearts. As we trust in Christ and as we see His Spirit and His Word work in our lives, our hearts are being renewed day by day, and we can live with holy desires that now cause us to enjoy the good gifts that God has given us in ways that please him. The gospel, it reveals our needs for new hearts, doesn't it? Hearts that no longer desire sinful things and create idols out of God's good creation. Rather, he gives us new hearts that long and desire God more than anything else. And we are now able to enjoy his gifts in a way that brings honor and glory and praise to him far and above the gift itself. As we remember our creator, we can rejoice all the more in our youth as people with new hearts because we enjoy God more through the gifts that he gives us. And we can actually enjoy the gifts more because we know that it is God who has given them to us. The preacher implores us. Live lives in this manner now while you still can. Because the day will come when not only will we not be able to enjoy the good gifts that God has given us, but all the more importantly, those gifts will not draw us in to rejoice in God as we ought to. It is in this way that we will learn to live by preparing to die. And I think this here, this is the wisdom that we've seen across Ecclesiastes. In the last few verses of the book, the author concludes, Besides being wise, the preacher also taught the people knowledge, weighing and studying and arranging many proverbs with great care. The preacher sought to find words of delight, and uprightly he wrote words of truth. The words of the wise are like goads, And like nails firmly fixed to the collected sayings, they are given by one shepherd. My son, beware of anything beyond these. Of making many books there is no end, and much study is a weariness of the flesh. The end of the matter, all has been heard. Fear God and keep his commandments. For this is the whole duty of man. For God will bring every deed into judgment with every secret thing whether good or evil. Now, while a whole other sermon could be dedicated, dedicated to these verses, I want to uh, conclude briefly just by saying this, that if you're like me, I think this series in Ecclesiastes has created a certain degree of tension within you. And it is this tension between enjoying God and enjoying the things of this world. And maybe that tension it was already there and that this series is, has grown it all the more. But how easy can it be to feel guilty when we enjoy the things of this world more than we do God? And that guilt, I think, is justified. Because we should never want and we should never enjoy the good created things of this world more than our Creator. But because of that tension... I think it's so easy to uh, overcorrect and to hold enjoyment of created things out at an arm's length, lest we idolize them and we enjoy them all the more than we do God. So the preacher's wisdom for us says in verse 11 that they are like goads. His wisdom are like goads. Now, you might not know what a goad is. They're not very common in Perth. Uh, A goad is a spiked stick that a shepherd would use. Uh, to keep his flock on track. So you can kind of imagine, you know, the shepherd, uh, to get them to go in the direction that he wants them to head. And if they were straying, you know, one way or another, he would use this goad to correct their course. And it's such a simple but yet a profound image that we can grasp, isn't it? I think it brings such clarity and such an intent of the preacher's words of wisdom for us in Ecclesiastes. His words are like goads that keep us from straying from one way or the other, from the overcorrection of rejecting the good things of this world or to expose our heart's idolatry of them. So, let us continue to look to the Son, to look to the one who lived his life perfectly in the light of his coming death. Learn from him, The one who I think verses 10 and 11 there, they're foreshadowing this one shepherd who gives us words of delight and words of truth. And not only in Ecclesiastes, but in all of scripture. For everything that God made is good. And he actually made it for our enjoyment. He didn't have to make nectarines so sweet. He didn't have to make sex pleasurable He didn't have to make the sunset so incredibly beautiful, but he did. He made this world for us to enjoy and to increase our joy in him. Not to reject or to hold out at arm's length, but we need to be wise, don't we? We need to test our hearts to see whether we love the Materialistic things more than God, and then we need to pray and to ask that He would help us to enjoy Him more because of those things. We need to rejoice in the good gifts of creation while remembering our Creator who is sovereign over it all and will judge us one day. Fear God and keep His commandments, for this is the whole duty of man. For God will bring every deed. And judgment, uh, into judgment with every secret thing, whether good or evil. Let us not live this life in blissful ignorance of what is to come, but let us apply these words of wisdom of the preacher to our hearts and our lives, that we may live more faithfully to the glory of the one who created us and saved us. Now, someone who helps us to do that really, really well is a man called Joe Rigney. And he has written this book, and it's called Strangely Bright. I've got a copy here. And the subtitle is, Can You Love God and Enjoy This World? Now, I hope that this series, that it has increased for you, this tension between loving God and enjoying the world. And if it has, let me encourage you to go and get this book. I think it'd be a fantastic way to spend this Christmas season and the summer uh, as we reflect on this. Let me read the blurb for you. It says, At the heart of the Christian life is a tension between the supremacy of God over all things and the enjoyment of all things for his sake. In this short book, Joe Rigney offers a biblical vision for enjoying God in everything and enjoying everything in God. God's gifts are invitations to know and enjoy him more deeply. And as this truth is impressed upon our hearts, we will discover that the things of earth grow strangely bright in the light of his glory and grace. Let me highly recommend that to you. Uh, I'll have have it with me afterwards if you want to have a closer look at it this morning. Um, I think it'll be just a fantastic way for us not to let this series in Ecclesiastes just pass us by, but to drive home some of these key things that we've learnt along the way. Now we're going to take communion together as well this morning. But before we do that, uh, the team's going to lead us in another song. But how about I pray for us now in the light of what we've heard from God's word this morning? Let's pray. Gracious Father, thank you for the good world that you have made. We know that it has been corrupted through our sin and rebellion, and for that we plead that you would forgive us through Jesus. Thank you that you still provide us everything for us to richly enjoy and we pray father that you would help us to enjoy you all the more through your gifts to us please seal your word upon our hearts this morning and cause us to live more faithfully for your glory in christ's name we pray amen